This Choircast podcast is brought to you by The Joy of Letting Go by Kevin Sweeney. When one of the great living mystics, Richard Rohr, writes, all great spirituality is somehow about letting go. Do we just skim by it and look for the next great quote? Or do we allow this truth to utterly change our relationship with God, humanity, and reality itself? And if we accept letting go as the key to transformation, the question becomes how? How is each life-altering step of the spiritual journey somehow about letting go? Well, my new book, The Joy of Letting Go, is the answer to that question. My dream is that everyone who reads this will open up to the possibility that to engage everything from the concrete to the cosmic and from the tiniest arguments with your partner to the biggest social tragedies of our time without losing our joy, we have to learn how to let go. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. What's up? Welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh my goodness. You're not going to believe it. This is going to be so great. We are continuing our series on, what are we calling this? The Censored Gospels. Well, this isn't really a gospel. Well, this one you get to call the Banned Bible Books because it's not uh, technically a gospel. That's right. Banned Bible Books. And uh, But we're continuing this series where we're looking at, um, what do we call them? The B-sides, bonus tracks, stuff that didn't get, didn't make the final cut, but definitely worth talking about. Um, but before we jump into this topic today... Uh, let's do some introductions. I am Keith Giles. I'm the author of the seven part Jesus Un series oh and the God, recently released Sola Deus, What If God cares? Is All of Us. Go check it out. And uh, joined by my co hosts, uh, Katie, Shonda, and sometimes Matt. Say hi. Hey, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. I'm founder of the Metaphysical Christian Facebook community. Um, I am finally working on my book. So I won't preview yes. it too much. I'm asking you all to hold me accountable. <laughs> so I finish it. That's <laughs> why I continue to write every day. Um, about our, like, it's a um, relationship guru approach to the Bible. Oh, wow. It's like a deal breaker. Like, this is a deal breaker book. No, more no. like a kind of codependent relationship. Oh, okay. Wow. I can't wait. That sounds out. amazing. Yeah, so it's super fun. Um, yeah, I'm super, I'm super happy to talk about more things that we can censor and cut out and eliminate from people's lives. We don't want you to have access to any of these books that aren't in the Bible. Um, so I'm bringing on the fascist um, fascist approach to our podcast, which is what's been missing, let's be honest, all these years. <laughs> I am Shonda Joe, wow. and I feel like, uh, yeah, Katie... Katie might be part of the Illuminati. I mean, Maybe, somebody's been withholding know. these books from us, and I guess it it must be her. <laughs> that is such a long... <laughs> that is a very long... Way high up. It took Way a high. <laughs> uh, so I am the author of um, Rebels, Despots, and Saints, The Ancestors Who Free Us and the Ancestors We Need to Free, and I am really excited, along with everybody in the audience, to learn a whole bunch about our special book for today. And I am Matthew J. DeStefano, the author of, can I say it, the award-winning The Wisdom yes. of Poverty? Yes, Have yes, I said damn it, it say it. Yes. Yeah. Award-winning, yeah. damn it. Award-winning. That 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 is true. So it, um, the Wisdom of Hobbits. I haven't said it on the show. Won the 17th annual National Indie Award Book for Philosophy. So, I'm pretty excited yay! About that. My man. 
Um, so I'm writing a follow-up on Mimetic Theory and Middle Earth for Super Tolkien and Gerard Nerds. Nerds. That'll be coming out in 2024. Again, if I can find a wow. publisher. Um, <laughs> but yes, we are. That. My gosh. Jeez, that monstrosity. <laughs> Uh, we are. This is the third. This is batting third in the three hole of this series. <laughs> it's okay. a baseball term, Keith. Uh, yeah, I don't follow baseball, <laughs> so whatever. And we are. <laughs> we're going to talk about It has about other meanings, but that's in different kinds of communities that we're yeah, not talking yeah, about today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my uh -huh. gosh. There's a soundbite for that. There has to be. <laughs> How about that one? A little, little body shaming, I guess. Um <laughs> Speaking of who you are, yeah, can we start this over? This has gone off the rails. <laughs> yes, I can censor it. Oh, yes. Thank God we have a fascist on our show now. Yeah. That's good. Take your scissors. Your black marker. Yeah, right. yeah. Maybe your this, this is a book I honestly had never heard of prior to maybe the last couple weeks, maybe last couple months at the most. And it is a fascinating conversation for you folks. If you've heard of Thecla, am I saying that right? T-H-E-C-L-A, Thecla. Thecla, Thecla. If you haven't heard of Thecla, you're in for a treat. If you have heard of Thecla, well, you're in for a treat as well, because all we do is deliver treats on this wonderful, illustrious, <laughs> award-winning show. <laughs> so treat. we're going to get into it. As always, not a regular Heretic of the Week, a full-on guest host, and you're in for a treat. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, guys. My name is Anna-Rebecca Solvag, and I am a heretic, maybe, although I've never been called it to my face. Hi, <laughs> Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> hey, Rebecca. Welcome um, to the Heretic Happy Hour. Uh, full disclosure, Rebecca and I have known each other for probably 15 or 20 years. And uh, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. And why might some people call you a heretic? Well, first of all, hi, Katie. It's really nice to be on the show. And it's very nice to hear your voice. Why would some call me a heretic? So I think some people within my denomination might call me a heretic. Although, as I said, I've never been called it to my face. Um, so, uh, but I might be a little bit uh, off track in some person's uh, view uh, due to my views on, for example, LGBTQ. That's, uh, that's a typical one, unfortunately. You're, you mentioned your denomination. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm actually active in the Salvation Army. That's my church. Uh, I grew up there and I live uh, on the west coast of Norway. Uh, oh, so... Wow. Um, so that's uh, so that's where I am at, um, and some of you may know a little bit about the Salvation Army uh, from mostly from the outside. Outside, I would imagine, as a church that is um, into uh, helping uh, people with you know food, clothing, etc. But very few people know about it as a church with active church members. So, uh, Rebecca, thank you for being on uh, our our podcast, and we're looking forward to having this conversation with you about some of your uh, knowledge about things that at least I have know nothing about, and a lot of our listeners know nothing about. Um, but real quick, what are um, you know? You, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Like, how did you get involved with Salvation Army? Um, and have we we kind of born into that? Did you is that something that you got into later? Um, and then like. You know, what's the, is there any tension in that between like 
uh, the kinds of things you believe or teach or, you know, talk about versus, you know, your your faith community. I can say a little bit about that. So uh, the Salvation Army is the church that I grew up in. Uh, and the Salvation Army is a minority church here in Norway. Most people here are Lutherans. Um, but uh, I grew up uh, in a fairly uh, small uh, congregation here in the city of uh, Stavanger, where I live. Um, and my church is, uh, the Salvation Army belongs to the Wesleyan tradition. And in um, uh, at least where I am at, it's been more of a working class church and um, somewhat evangelical and um, very little weight put on uh, theology and a lot of weight put on doing something uh, for people, which I certainly uh, condone. But yeah. the problem is uh, when there are issues that come up that haven't been resolved, then the lack of theological knowledge uh, becomes a challenge. Yeah. And uh, I decided to study theology. So I have studied um, theology um, and also I have a PhD. And now I am a professor of New Testament study uh, studies at um, in a local seminary here in Stavanger. So I have a lot of uh, theological knowledge um, and um, it sometimes conflicts with um, the views of my church. No, I uh, I agree with you. I think personally, um, I would prefer a church that's more interested in orthopraxy than hung up on the orthodoxy part. Uh, so that's that is great, and that, and that is one thing I know Salvation Army does well is serve the community and people on the edges, and uh, that's so that's that is cool. That is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so do you ever? I'm just curious too. Like, do you ever uh, in your church? I mean, I don't know. Do you have a, a leader leadership position in the church, or? Um, or are you just uh, someone that attends the church? And I mean, how does that work? Yeah. So uh, the interesting thing about the Salvation Army is that we're really into into military lingo. Mm -hmm. So I'm so I'm actually a soldier. Uh -huh. And what does that mean? It means that I'm an ordinary church member, but I am uh, allowed to wear a Salvation Army uniform, and I have. Um, kind of accepted the teachings of my church and also um, given some promises about um, lifestyle issues. So respecting marriage and not um, gambling, not using alcohol or drugs, um, etc. Yeah, it's weird. I know yeah. that is also <laughs> my church and right. I love it. <laughs> and and so Rebecca, I I had the um, fun and the joy of attending Rebecca's church in Norwegian, and she very kindly translated a lot uh, that was happening. But because it is a Wesleyan tradition, and I grew up in a Methodist tradition, I felt right at home, like the the, the order yeah. of the service. It was interesting. I could follow along just perfectly with what you know with what was happening. And so it, you know, I think it's really interesting to meet someone or to have someone on the show like you who has a um, a dedication to like not drinking, to not gambling, but is also very progressive in theology. Because I know I've seen that you've written some like pieces for your church on LGBTQI inclusion. And I'm just curious, how does that, you know, how does it, like, how does that operate? How does that feel? Because you're really working mm -hmm. from within in a tradition that I sense that you really love. Yeah. But, so, but you're also working for greater inclusion, maybe? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I am. And I'm not the only one. So we are a big group internationally. We are um, a big group, but still a minority of people who are working for LGBTQ inclusion. We have a website, we have a podcast. Uh, we we do uh, various kinds of um, uh, things trying to uh, explain how we can do this within our tradition so and i have participated in that with my knowledge as a new testament scholar and a theologian very cool so i yeah i love this model that it is possible to work from a change within with you know traditions that are um, that are that are, who are open to it not not every tradition is um which is great but well should we should we start talking about um Second century, should we rewind about 1800 years? Yes, let's do that. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Rebecca is here to guide us in another non-canonical text. And today we are talking about a woman named Thecla. And she has a story that's recorded in uh, the Acts of Paul and sometimes called the Acts of Paul and Thecla. Um, so let's dive into it. This is one of my my favorite characters. So Rebecca, I wonder, can you tell us maybe how you became interested in Thecla, and then give us give us a snapshot. What are what what and who are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. Thecla is uh, uh, an early love, uh, someone I completely fell in love with when I first learned about her. Um, when I studied theology, and you know, you, you study the New Testament, you study the Old Testament. Uh, but you don't really learn so much about other Chris, early Christian literature. And I, my mind was just blown when someone told me about uh, this Acts of Paul and Thecla. Because it's, um, it's a second century writing. So it's like written like just 50 years later than the, uh, some of the latest New Testament writings. Um, but it tells a very fascinating uh, story. It's a, it's fiction, so it, Thecla probably never lived, <laughs> um, but it tells a very fascinating story about a young woman who meets um, the Apostle Paul and is converted, uh, and her uh, very exciting story when she tries to become a disciple or follow Paul. Wow. So uh, I'm just kind of curious, too, you said when you first came across it, how, when did you discover uh, Thecla? Because I'll be honest, yeah. I, I just found out about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're in for a treat, Keith. <laughs> um, I uh, I took a class um, towards the end of my studies. I took like this class that I didn't have to take with a visiting scholar from the United States. Uh, her name is Bernadette Bruton. She's an early Christian studies uh, scholar. Uh, and she was teaching a class on women in the early church. And this uh, reading uh, Acts of Thecla was one of the assignments. Um, and, and it just, uh, it, it opened this, you know, completely unknown world of, you know, what did, you know, early women, Christian women believe in? What did they do? How did they live their lives? What kind of, you know, obstacles did they come across? And I just found it uh, very, very fascinating. Well, so that's a good point. So even though we think it is fiction, um, it's still very useful to us, right, from a from a research standpoint or a scholarly standpoint, because it does give us a snapshot into that world. Excuse me, that world and uh, that that culture um, and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, you can learn about early Christian practice, you can yeah. learn about early Christian beliefs, and you can learn about early Christian social life. Uh, and the place of, uh, you know, uh, women and men, uh, slaves and free, 
Um, so uh, uh, all these entanglements uh, of, uh, of power and abuse of power that I'm also very fascinated with. Mm-hmm. So this, um, this text, let's kind of outline some of the crazy stuff that happens because Thecla is super fascinating. We see a lot of kind of um, stereotypical attitudes towards like sex and chastity and things like that. But then Thecla also does some really amazing things in the story. Um, so Rebecca, can you just give us a highlight, like su- a brief summary of the story and maybe any parts of it that stand out to you um, the most? I definitely have my favorite Thecla moment. Yeah. So one of the uh, one of the interesting things about this narrative is that it kind of it follows a pa- a pattern, an ancient uh, literary pattern of young people falling in love, and 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 uh, overcoming obstacles uh, in order to 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 get each other at the end. But the twist is that in these early Christian stories. So Acts of Thecla is one of them, and there are several other apocryphal acts that kind of tell the same variation of uh, of the story. Um, they 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 want to get closer to the apostle, but they're not really falling in love in the ordinary sense because the apostle preaches a gospel that is about two things: the resurrection and sexual abstinence. So the whole thing is that you're not supposed to get married, but you can kind of fall in love with the gospel and the apostle in a way. And that's what Thecla does. And that creates the tension in the story because that's not popular in uh, her hometown and in her family because she's supposed to get married. She's betrothed. She's a young woman. The, your role as a young affluent woman um, is to get married and start a family and have children. And when she falls in love with Paul um, and wants to follow him instead and abstain from sexual relations and not get married, you know, she... She everything is upturned. Shall I shall so, I continue? <laughs> well, can I just ask a clarifying question? Because again, I'm yeah. I'm kind of a blank slate on this. So yeah. Thecla falls in love with the Apostle Paul. Yes, right? but his message, right? But she okay. she has the she has the signs of falling in love. So she sits at her window staring at him when he's preaching. <laughs> and when he's thrown into jail, she bribes uh, the jailer with her jewelry so that she can come in and sit by his feet. But it's his message that she's attracted to. Okay. So it's not like a Romeo and Juliet type thing. Um they're not they're not in love romantically. There's no there's no hanky panky going on. No, uh, no, no. It's just her. She's she's enamored with him, um, probably because he's so Christ like, right? It's more of his yeah. his she's she's attracted to his uh righteousness, his piety, um, his devotion yeah. to Christ. Yeah, that's exactly it, Keith. And actually she even at one point sees him and Christ at the same time. So she has kind of a vision of Christ, but he looks like Paul. So they, oh, it's, it's like there's no overlap. overlap there. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Wow. But no, so is there any, any indication that Paul feels the same way about her or is he just sort of, um, he's not, does he return that kind of affection to her or no? Well, that's the weird thing because he's somewhat playing hard to get in this story. <laughs> so, yeah, so so um, yeah, she follows him to jail, and then they are both um, sentenced because you know they're upturning this town. But Paul is just sent out of the city, but she is condemned to burn at the stake. So this yeah. is Thecla's first obstacle. 
she actually is going to burn at the stake. But some kind of miracle happens so that there's a rainstorm and oh. she gets out of it. And then she tries to find Paul again. And they meet up and they travel together. And then there's another obstacle when they are again thrown into jail and she is condemned to fight wild animals this second yeah. time. And is manages to get yeah. out of it this time as well. Yeah. So can I can I just say something too? This was kind of odd to me when I was reading it. Um because it is, it does show her with Paul. There's a thing like Paul embraces her and, and then it's like all of a sudden they grab her and then she's being tried and arrested. Like, well, what happened to Paul? He's just gone. And yeah, it, it, that was really odd to me. Like, it just felt like Paul is sort of in the background and he doesn't really seem to interact and, and doesn't even seem to like, I mean, it's in that one part that I was reading, it doesn't seem like he even protested or tried to step in. It was just kind of like, oh, they took her and oh, well. Yeah, he's, he seems to withdraw uh, when, when she's in trouble. He's not there to help her. He's not like he's not the hero right. of the story in a way. Um, but she needs his blessing and that's what she's fighting for. So when she has, you know, overcome all these obstacles, she does get his blessing towards the end uh, and is then commissioned to go and preach the word of God. So that's kind of what she's trying for. But she's the real heroine and she's the one who needs to to fight through all these uh, ordeals um so so it's uh, i think it's really fascinating because paul doesn't come come out like a nice no. guy at all it seems no. to me in this story yeah that makes it more believable <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> maybe he was a human being after all <laughs> right and he's kind of described as being quirky looking like he's not a typical romantic hero. He's not handsome. He's he has crooked legs. He has a bald head. He's got, uh, they kind of make it a point of saying that he's a little goofy looking in yeah. the story too. And um, so Rebecca, tell us why is Thecla being burned at the stake? Like why, why is she in so much trouble? Why does she have to go through all of these ordeals? Well, uh, so the, the first time is I, uh, basically her mom that gives her up and says, burn the wicked one, burn her who will not marry. So, so the mother is really harsh. She's not interested in having a daughter who's not willing to, you know, go through a, to be a proper woman, right? Wow. Um, so it says something about how important that expectation was. Like if you're a young woman uh, of a certain class and Thekla is described as the first of the city or, you know, so she's uh, a, a well-to-do citizen, then you're expected to get married. And if you, you know, protest against that, you're not the daughter that, you know, the mom is interested in. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely, it, it, it just seems like it is an interesting window into what it was like to be a woman um, at mm -hmm. that time. And, and it is, it is also fascinating um, that, you know, like you were saying that Paul isn't the hero here, really Thecla is. And in the end, she's she's a woman who's been given basically a reward for her faithfulness um, and her devotion to Christ. And she's given this commission and sort of sent out like an apostle or an evangelist or something. Right. So mm -hmm. um, I, I'm just curious, do you I, I mean, did did something like that, the fact that the subject matter being sort of highlighting a woman and kind of making the woman the hero and. Uh, even ending with her receiving a blessing from Paul to kind of step into those shoes. Do, do you think that had anything to do with Thecla being um, kind of ignored? 
Well, uh, uh, if we think about the the context behind this story, I think yeah. it's I think it's about I think we're at a stage where Christianity is starting to appeal to upper class women. Yeah, and they are interested in this these kinds of stories. Okay. Um. So I think that that it's kind of the Thecla story is meeting a demand in early Christian readership, where um. Uh, it is a countercultural choice to become a Christ follower, to become a Christian at this point. And Christianity in the second century did have these expectations about sexual renunciation, or at least um, f- for a certain group, uh, or especially for women who wanted to have some kind of leadership role that was expected. And so Thecla is kind of um, an example of what that meant and how uh, even if you went through an ordeal that was still kind of worth it in a way and i'm i'm kind of curious and fascinated by the the sexual values in the story too and i can imagine that a lot of listeners are thinking oh it's the same old story be be chaste be a virgin um, don't have sex. But this is really different than the kind of purity culture we have today in a lot of evangelical churches where young women get that message until they get married because there's that expectation that they get married. And so Thecla seems to be saying something a little bit different. And Rebecca, I know you've done some work on like women and childbearing and those those kind of stories, especially from the the Timothy letters, I think. And yeah. I wonder if you can set that in a in a framework for us. Like how is Thecla a little bit different? Um, there may be some other expectations of women in the ancient world or today. Yeah, uh, well, she is uh, she is different uh, in terms of well, what sexual renunciation did for these women was to give them a possibility of having leadership roles. So if you renounce, you know, the family life, there's another life that you can step into, and that's kind of what what Thecla is striving for and what Paul is kind of reluctant to give her but he does in the end she does become an apostle she is commissioned to preach the gospel and she even baptizes herself in a scene which was very controversial um wow. and in the aftermath of this story so that's the kind of you know th- that's her achievement in, in a way yeah was there so did 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 the you mentioned that uh, the fact that she baptizes herself um, had repercussions? Like so, do we do we see that in history uh, that this story did influence behaviors um, of women at the time, the second century and beyond? Yeah, certainly. Uh, she she becomes uh, extremely popular, and she uh, and and her, um, it becomes. She becomes a controversial figure anyway. So some consider her a heretic. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Tertullian, who wrote maybe 50 years uh, uh, after you. the story. Uh, <laughs> have you heard that of guy. Tertullian before? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not a big fan. He's kind of no. a, kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, he certainly is. He's certainly a jerk. And what he says is, um, this was a text that was falsely written. Someone claimed they were Paul, but they weren't, uh, and you shouldn't listen to it um, because this was a f- uh, this was a fake priest, and now he's you know um, uh, what what's it called uh, deposed. Um, uh-huh. So uh, don't read this story and don't listen to her. And what Thecla did was wrong. Women should not baptize because that's what they used the story for. Fifty years later, they said uh-huh. if Thecla can baptize herself. 
women can <laughs> baptize. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah, that, that's dangerous. Um, yeah. Douglas self baptism is absolutely my favorite moment in the story. And um, I can, let me just read a, a little bit, a passage from it uh, for listeners, because she's standing here. She's been saved from being eaten by lions and bears and all the stuff that they're sending to, to her to try to kill her. And so she, she declares, she prays and it says, she turned about and saw a pit of water and said, now it's the proper time for me to be baptized. And she throws herself into the water and says, you know, my Lord Jesus Christ, I am this last day baptized. And people are cautioning her not to throw herself into the water because there's sea lions in it. Um, but she does anyway, and lightning strikes the water, kills the sea lions, and then she <laughs> is able to be baptized. So I love just every element of this of her self-baptism. Um, just makes me <laughs> really, really happy. And so, you know, with with her renunciation and her self-baptism, I'm it kind of makes me wonder about like what were these second century women doing because we don't tell stories unless there's a reason to tell them right so like what's what's not what's the story that's not being told and tertullian may give us a little bit of a of a hint into that but i'm kind of curious because this story seems to um fit right into some expectations we have of early christianity sexual renunciation um living a single life also being being saved from like death through childbirth as well for women, which might've been very attractive to some of them. But then it's countercultural in many ways too of the, of this early Christian story. So like what, I'm just curious, like, what do we all imagine? What were these second century women, upper-class women doing and thinking and um, yeah. behaving? How were they behaving? Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's, that's what I find very fascinating as well to, to try and, um, and, and imagine what those stories are that never were written then you know that 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 are lurking um, behind here and i think what's interesting is she's she's self-baptizing after she's asked paul several times can you please baptize me and he's like no i don't think you're ready <laughs> so <laughs> finally she just does it herself because she knows she's ready uh, and another fascinating piece of that uh what can we say gender fight is that throughout the, um, uh, this uh, whole narrative there's an increasing um what can i say support of women for thecla so it's like all the women to in in the last uh, fight in her last fight in the arena all the women support her and all the guys are against her even the uh, female animals in the arena <laughs> defend her yes. so there's a lioness that yes. you know is is killed because she defends thecla uh but the bulls try to tear thecla apart so it's uh, so even the animals take gender sides yeah. uh, so there's something really really fascinating going on that's maybe it's telling a story about you know conflict between the sexes yeah no yeah that that part was pretty uh, intense as well and um that is interesting. Yeah, it's the female animals uh, that instantly just sort of sense that she is, you know, God's messenger or something, and they're they're defending her mm -hmm. to their death, which is really amazing. So, you know, yeah. we um, many Christians know about the Acts of the Apostles, which is in the New Testament, and we're talking about the this uh, the Acts of uh, from the Acts of Paul or Thecla and Paul. Um, is this it? Are there other sort of Acts type? Um, texts 
and what are they and how many of them are there and you know where where can we find them yeah so uh so there are about five that were written in the second century so you can uh you can imagine reading the acts of the apostles that you're familiar with from the new testament and you're like where are the 10 others when, you know, this is just about yeah. Peter and Paul, what happened to the other guys? And, you know, tell us more <laughs> stories about this. So that's in, in a way what they did. They told more stories about Peter. They told more stories about Paul. And then they also told stories about John, Andrew and Thomas. So we have these five acts uh, about these five uh, apostles that are from the, from the second century. Um, and, and they are found in, in collections like, uh, it's called the uh, the apocryphal New Testament. These um, kind of early Christian stories that are written in similar genres as the what we have in the New Testament. So we have apocryphal uh, uh, gospels, we have apocryphal acts, we have apocryphal letters, and we have apocryphal revelations. Mm -hmm. So Christians, you know, uh, took what they had in the New Testament and invented more. So, are they, excuse me, are, is is it sort of like um, these other acts that we're talking about? It's it almost sounds like fan fiction, right? It's like yeah, hey, I want to tell a story about you know, uh, like you said, Thomas or Andrew or something like that. Uh, and is that accurate? Is it kind of like hey, let's just tell some really inspiring stories? They're probably not true. People reading them probably realize they're not true, but um, they're just fascinated. They're interested in yeah. this in these characters and and in what happened. Yeah, they they are certainly a fan fiction, and there are even um, biblical scholars who use uh, fan fiction as a kind of theoretical framework to interpret them. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's certainly accurate. And one of the questions that early Christians asked and wanted stories about was, how did they die? Because martyrdom becomes a thing, right? Yeah. So so all of these also have a martyrdom narrative towards the end, and that's telling us how these, uh, how how valiantly these uh, apostles died. Yeah. And, and you're right. That is sort of an untold part. I mean, you don't get any of that in, you know, we, we know from tradition that uh, at least we think, right. That Peter was crucified upside down and Paul was beheaded and, and these kinds of things, but we don't read that in the new Testament scriptures. Right. And so um, when these other acts kind of fan fiction, we're talking about, when they do kind of answer those questions, do they mm -hmm. answer it accurately as far as we know, or are these embellishments as well? Do we know that, that they died in these actual ways or we don't know? No, we don't. So, uh, so the reason you, uh, the reason you think, you know, that Peter was, uh, was crucified upside down is because he is in the acts of Peter. Ah. Uh, so that's where you have it from, but, but that is not, um, that is not, a true story like it is uh, fiction wow. um, but but for example um there was a tr so the acts of john tells the story about how john dies peacefully he's not oh, martyred yeah. and that is probably because there was knowledge that john did not die a martyrdom death so they had to come up with a story where he doesn't die as a martyr because people knew that he actually didn't so he right. just at the end of his life lies down in a grave and basically just buries himself <laughs> It's, oh, it's wow. a little better like, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a self-martyrdom. Yeah. Wow. Boy, but he had to know he had to, did he dig his own grave or was he just, he found one open? Uh, that's weird. Yeah. I don't remember the details right now. Do you Katie? 
No, I don't know that I've actually read that particular Acts. Um, the the Acts of Peter I have read, and like like Keith, I grew up with that knowledge that like Peter was crucified upside down. But I don't think I realized until about ten years ago why I thought that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm Rebecca. I'm curious for Thecla. What about the story appeals to you? Like, is is this a story that is important to you in your own journey? Does it have any kind of spiritual value for people today? And I'm curious if you've had any, um, you know, anyone that's really resonated with the story. And I think this is coming to me just because I like Thecla and um, I, I connect with her. But also I was teaching a Bible study 10, probably 10 years ago in a church, a four week Bible study. And it, they were curious about, I think it was like women in the Bible or something like that. And at the end, I just said, let's, let me tell you about this other woman named Thecla. And I distributed the story and we read a little bit of it. And I had a woman who came up to me years later. I didn't even remember her being in the study. And she said, I have to tell you that story of Thecla has um, stayed with me all these years. And then she had done all this like research on hmm. Thecla on her own. So that story hmm. of Thecla was really valuable for her. Um, and it, even in the context of a Bible study, even though it's really not in the Bible. And I, I found that to be true for, you know, kind of different early Christian figures. So I'm just curious what that's like for you or maybe other people mm. that you that you teach. Yeah. And no, that has actually been my experience, too, that um, that if teaching this story really resonates uh, with some people. And uh, and I think it, it does resonate with women because the the bible is so male centered right there are so yeah. many stories about guys and we all know them from before so hearing this new story about a strong brave woman um uh, uh, who you know even baptizes herself and goes to preach uh, the word of god and and imagine that she's like maybe you know third fourth generation uh, christianity that is really fascinating and um and it certainly resonates with me as well but as a scholar, you know, I also also have this, you know, I can't turn off the critical button. So there are, of course, aspects that I think are, yeah, can be problematic that need to be critiqued. And one of them is, of course, the, uh, the complete focus on upper class women in these stories where slaves, uh, slave women, of course, don't get the same opportunities as these upper class women in these narratives do. And, and there are some really actually problematic stories about slave women uh, in, in these apocryphal acts. Yeah. So, so Thecla is sort of filling the gap, like you said. There's a, it's, there's a vacuum created um, from the New Testament writings and scriptures because, like you said, they're all male dominated. Yeah. Women are minor characters. Hmm. Um, we do have some named, like, you know, some of the writings of Paul will mention like Lydia and Dorcas and, you know, uh, people like that. So Priscilla. And so we do get a few names and some, you know, like Junia, little, little yeah. line, like a line, a sentence. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there is this, there is this need to, to just, uh, embellish, to, to, to tell more stories, to, to make them longer. Right. Yeah. So, hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Very fascinating. Um, uh, maybe a potential takeaway. I'm just, and I'm curious what um, what all of us maybe think about this, or um, maybe how we could use this. But one of the in inspirations I think for me here is that early Christians were telling lots of colorful stories in new ways to fill in some of these gaps. And like Rebecca pointed out, this um, they don't fill every gap. 
right? So when we tell the story of Thecla, we're telling a particular point of view, but an upper class woman. And then other people are left out, they're marginalized, they're um, kind of in, in, they're in the margins of the story. But that also inspires me to continue this process. Like we're not limited, right? We can also tell these, you know, tell our own story, um, tell our own colorful spiritual story in new ways. And so this kind of breaking out of this mold that whoever wrote the story of Thecla, um, it shows us, models us, is also inspiring. Like we can continue to do this and we can continue to write new stories or tell new stories or live, you know, live new stories. And uh, ultimately for me, Thecla, that's one of the ways that she does continue continue to inspire me. And we see women, particularly women, but all, you know, lots of different kinds of people break out of molds today. And then they get chastised for it and they get tried to put back in the box. And then they'll say, nope, nope, I'm still going to break out of this mold. And so like, it can Thecla be a model for us and how to tell our story. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I totally agree. I haven't thought of it that way before, but uh, thanks, Katie. I agree. Yeah, it would be interesting to see uh, maybe like a resurgence of Thecla. Like I can imagine, you know, uh, children's storybooks, uh, but the story of Thecla or um, you know, even movies based on this book would be really fascinating. I don't know that a lot of Christians would embrace it because of all the things we've talked about, uh, because she's, she's kind of uh, bucking the system. But I, I can imagine that even today there would be an audience for something like this, a story like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make the Thecla movie. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I wish I had a budget. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, and, and Thecla in her own way is, although she's, you know, kind of buying into these stereotypes of like chastity and um, sexual renunciation in its own way at the time, this is wildly crazy. Yeah. Right. Like this is its own version of kind of sex positivity of the ancient world um, as well. And so I, um, I'm glad I don't have the same vows or commitments as Thecla precisely, but <laughs> Um, but the model of innovation, I really appreciate. It is fascinating. And it's, it's great that we still have uh, copies of this. Like, you know, a lot of the other books that we've been talking about, like the Gospel of Judas or the Gospel of Thomas, were, you know, aggressively, you know, burned or buried or you know, people tried to make them go away. And so it is fortunate that we do have copies of Thecla. It wasn't something that was lost that had to be uncovered or recovered. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and that's interesting, too. So why why do you think that is? Well, it just became extremely popular. I don't think there was any chance of, of, of trying to bury or burn her. You know, she <laughs> she she just resisted. So it was translated into many different languages, and there uh, a whole cult uh, grew up around her name, where she was supposedly um, uh, uh, supposed to have died. And and actually, I read. Uh, earlier today that even in uh, uh, in Egypt, you know, across the Mediterranean from Asia Minor, where the cult was, they found these little oil flasks with a Thecla print on them. So people could, people had bought them as souvenirs, even in Egypt. So, so she was a, she was uh, a hero for many, many early Christians and probably for many women, but maybe also for, uh, for men as well, who also thought that they could be healed then if they went to her shrine and bought these flasks with oil. So there's this whole thing that developed around, uh, around her name and her story. That's fascinating. And I do, I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why 
it was also so hard to kind of stamp it out because like you said, famously Tertullian, who's like a church father and he has some mm -hmm. authority. People yeah. are supposed to listen to what he says and yeah. he denounces it and says, don't read it. Don't listen to it. It's, it's nonsense, but it doesn't make it go away. And it, and it, no one successfully is able to like, you know, completely get rid of it. I, I can't help yeah. but wonder if it's because as you were saying, um, it appealed so much to upper class women of the time. Yeah. So yeah. because they're wealthy and they can purchase many copies of it and they're distributing it, um, they probably don't really care as much whether Tertullian likes it or not, right? Mm. <laughs> it's like, well, look, I love it and I'm going to keep a copy of it and I've got money and you're not going to come take my copy out of, out of my house. Um, I wonder if that had anything to do with it as well. Yeah, I, I think so too. And that also says something about women also having some kind of power uh, yeah. in this yeah. movement, right? But uh, it may be a quieter power. Uh, it may be, you know, they may, they may not be the ones who were able to speak out so much in church, but they did have money. They could purchase copies. They did uh, have uh, uh, have some at, uh, at home. They did travel to these shrines and, you mm -hmm. know, visit the sites and, and tell stories about it. So she didn't go away. That's great. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, so I, thank you so much, Rebecca. I love this story. It's been so fun to have you here. Um, tell us a little bit about where people may find your work if they're interested in, in learning more about these early, you know, second, second century Christianity. Yeah, well, um, I, have, um, I have published two monographs um, and I write about a little bit about the apocryphal acts uh, in, uh, in both of them. So if you uh, Google my name, I'm sure you can uh, you can find uh, find my books and also other uh, articles. Um, early Christian writings is you know kind of my and and women um, disability and uh, you know class issues is my research area. Well, thank you, Rebecca. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for inviting me. It was great being with you. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, you, Rebecca. So good. That was um, great. I'm so happy. Yeah, if I got to know Rebecca in the somewhere in the probably mid to late 2000s. And I'm so glad I did. And you should all become friends with a Norwegian Bible scholar because then you too can go to a Salvation Army service in Norwegian like I did. Yeah. When you're, with, when you're saying with Rebecca and learning about Thecla and things like that. Rebecca and Thecla. See, so it kind of rhymes. You make a little yes. rap out of that. Yeah. Keith's, Keith's, put down some bars, dude. Yeah, there you go. Like, uh, start spitting the rhymes. Shonda, what do <laughs> you think about that? I am so sad that I missed that. It's uh, not quite as dramatic as Keith, uh, because I didn't know who Thecla was before. Um, I feel like she got mentioned in, what was that novel that was uh, The Gospel According to Biff? Is that right? Um, yeah, I, don't, I do like that novel a lot. I don't remember her being in there. Okay but I can't say for certain that she's not. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, this this is new terrain for me, kind of like Matt, like she just wasn't really on my radar. Um, and so I am really sad I missed out. I'm really glad that y'all recorded it so I get to catch up. Matt, what do you think about Thecla now? Matt, I, I, you want to be honest? You want me to be honest? Yes, I guess. I can censor it. I don't remember the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we did want you to be that honest. <laughs> we're, we're, we're letting everyone behind, peek behind the curtain of our recording process here. <laughs> yeah. No, I no, I do remember that I, um, I'm, I mean, the the women empowerment stuff, all that was fantastic. And, it, yeah. and it, it's obvious, like, 
I try not to become a conspiracy theorist, um, especially in today's day and age. But it's like it's it seems too obvious on why certain things were just yeah. not talked about or not um, not allowed to be talked about. And I don't want to like overstate like oh all the all the all the stories about strong women in the Bible are banned because of some grand conspiracy. But then when there's a pattern, it's like, damn, you can't help but notice it. Right. So I'm all about like, like getting these out in the open. I, unlike you, Katie, who's a fascist who wants to censor everything. <laughs> and I'm, who I'm hates all about... the empowerment of women also. Right. Yeah, now, obviously. Obviously. What's that up with obviously. So the Margaret Thatcher yeah. of the uh, podcast. <laughs> right. No. Well, so I, I, do... I, I do remember, I do remember this conversation. It was, it was really, it's, it's wonderful to have illuminating conversations about things that I had never heard of growing up in the church, especially when it comes to, uh, characters who wouldn't otherwise be celebrated, i.e. men. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have to yeah. say, um, there are, in addition to, you know, Matt, your point about like, there are stories that get hidden. There are a whole bunch of stories of empowered women that are, are, you know, hiding in plain sight, right? Like it is bizarre still that we get this narrative of gentle, Mary, meek and mild when that's yeah. not anywhere. Every, every reference to Mary in the actual Bible is pretty radical, is pretty countercultural. And so I think there's also the element of how the stories get told, even when they're right there for us. So there's a, yeah, that's an, maybe that's an even grander conspiracy. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it does help us. I think this conversation and and looking at um, Thecla as sort of a forgotten or overlooked hero uh, in early Christianity, it definitely did, does give us an opportunity to talk about that, which I think it is such an important thing to talk about. You know, um, we we have similar things happening with the way like Mary Magdalene is portrayed or erased. Um, you know, like I really appreciate uh, Elizabeth Schrader's work. You know, pointing out the way Eliz- uh, a, a way Mary Magdalene was sort of erased from the Gospel of John and things like that. Like it's it seems very obvious that yes, or sadly, early on in in the Christian movement, um, there there was an effort made to downplay the role of women, the role that women actually did play in the ministry of Jesus and in the end in the you know the immediate uh, early tr- Christian movement, um, and that sadly, yeah, men very quickly just said, okay, women, sit down, shut up, make a sandwich. Well, we got it from here. And that's really, really sad to me. It really kind of pisses me off. So I love the opportunity to to just say that, to say, look, yes, this is this did happen, right? You go and read those quotes from Tertullian, um, you know, one of these church fathers that I thought he was great. I thought I, thought, I loved Tertullian until I read the quotes uh, where he talks about women. And then I was like, you son of a bitch, man. I wanted to slap this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, so you you start to notice that. Like, man, there was like a really strong anti-woman um, sentiment that kind of popped up and and in some ways still continues. So it's really great to be able to have this conversation, acknowledge that, and hopefully begin to change that. I would love to have that, you know, I'd love, love to see us. Uh, I don't. I don't have any hope of reforming the existing Christian evangelical church in this regard. Um, maybe slowly they'll get there, but um, for those of us who are have already started to step out of that, it's like I think this is an important thing to talk about and to correct moving forward. Yeah, uh, Thecla. I've always, I just loved Thecla for so long, but um, 
it's an inter- it's interesting because it's a um in Slavic countries, Thekla is a name, and maybe like Greek speaking, Thekla is a name that will be, you know, not unheard of. Like people are still named Thekla um, now. And, uh, you know, Thekla was never, has actually never been in danger of being truly censored because she was really, really popular in the ancient world. The text was, and she was never really in, in consideration for the Bible because the Bible formation started before Thekla was, you know, like ever written. But it's interesting that like Westerners today aren't reading her. Mm. Like, available for a long time we have tons of translations it's been translated into english for like four or five hundred years but like it doesn't you know it doesn't get read so that's the mm-hmm. uh, the new thecla groundswell it starts right here yes mm-hmm. that's right let's right do it here. Let's start a movement. you know how yeah. we could i think get some traction is she was turkish there is maybe no better food in the world than turkish food oh, can yeah. we do a thecla cookbook and use that as the <gasps> intro and maybe use that to fund the uh Revolution. It'll have barbecued steel in it from for the lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We actually yeah. kicked around the idea of a heretic happy hour, like little like bartender's cookbook slash mixology book. Okay. Yeah, we want to do that. So, oh, so yeah. we maybe we could do a series. We'll, we'll we'll start off with the heretic happy hour mixology kind of um, uh, drink kind of book recipe book, but then then we could follow that up with like a Thekla Turkish kind of. I have this book. recipe. Find find a group of people who want to kill you. <laughs> jump in fountain with seals uh, when they're electrocuted just consume <laughs> yes Start faster than the instant pot serve over rice yeah, that, <laughs> serve over rice. that is one thing I, I definitely learned from this episode was that uh and from thecla that like seals were deadly you know you gotta watch out for these these deadly seals uh, i know yeah, yeah they're not the cute little seals they're the, apparently uh, yeah they're not yeah. maybe they were studying under the orcas Yes, exactly. Maybe yes, so. orcas are now. Yeah, they're they're they have their own revolution right now. I welcome our orca overlords. Me too. At least I like the way they're thinking so far. Like harass yeah, the rich. Good for you. <laughs> go orcas, go. Did I miss something? Are orcas the news? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. Oh yes. I will look up. I'll look yeah. about it. and then. Oh, yeah. No, there are these pods of orcas that are, like, knocking over yachts and stuff. Like, yes, rich people attacking. boats primarily. Yeah, they're attacking ultra-rich people in their yachts in the ocean and, like, threatening to capsize them or, or sink them. Mm-hmm. Are they and threatening them? Wait, I want to know. How do they threaten to No, no, but they're, but they're ramming. They're ramming they're into ramming them. They're knocking holes in them. Right. They're, yep. right. like, harassing them for hours. Yeah, not, it's, it's not empty threats. No, it's it's a. I don't know if they've actually you're gonna, like anything. You're going to catch these they, fins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you wonder, and, like, if you fell in the water, what would they do to you then? Right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Because, well, I'm not so, trying to fuck with no orcas. I'm not yeah, trying to exactly. fuck with the ocean at all. No, actually, the meme that I just saw the other day that I think is priceless is we need to tell the orcas about the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> well, they gotta yeah, help us out, Orcas. It works on several levels because, like, just in general, but also they have been taking all of those bribed uh, uh, trips oh, on yeah. uh, rich yes. people yachts. Yes, um, yes. Those are the yachts we want the Orcas to target in particular right now. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm pro Orca. I gotta say, go Orca. <laughs> I, I, we'll teach them a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is a new T-shirt for our antiquated website that we yes. keep telling people about. So, so if you want to pick up your orca swag, we've got hats, <laughs> we've got we got orca T-shirts at heretichappyhour.com. No, we don't have any of that, but I kind of wish we did now. 
Um, head on over to heretichappyhour.com. Check that out. Uh, I can't promise that it's going to look any different in 2025, but um, it's <laughs> 2025. A, you met, <laughs> I, do you think I'm going to get to this in the next two years? I don't no, know. No, probably not. Um, you remember those letters you'd write to yourself and then you'd, you'd, yeah. you'd go read them? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Like you're going to, yeah. it's, it's a time capsule thing. So check yeah, it out, sure. heretichappyhour.com. All right, y'all, we have a Facebook group. It's free. It's for deconstructing people like you. Um, I am a moderator. I do not censor you in <laughs> much in the group. So you should come and join us. It's called Heresy After Hours. I'm going to give you an example of what someone posted pretty recently. Um, so this is from Matthew Corman. Uh, actually, this was like a year ago, but it just popped up because people were liking it again. Uh, Matthew Corman, who was the heretic of the week, correct? Yeah, and he's a choir yeah, author. And a, and yeah, a choir author, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a biblical and a scholar. And so yes. he wrote, many of you may have heard this before, but now you've got a nifty one-minute video by your local neighborhood Bible scholar, him, not me, um, to spam all of your conservative friends with. Oh and it's titled... Awesome. Can God kill your baby? And it has a picture of Moses <laughs> a tablet, like one of the Ten Commandments up. Um, and so I'm not, I haven't clicked on it yet, but I think all I'm of you sure. should. Um, mm-hmm. Just come after hours, find this, click on it, and give Matthew some props. And also have the conversations that you want to have about your deconstruction journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I just have to quickly give a shout out to Matthew Corman because he's only published one book with choir. Um, so far it's called saying no to God and it's great. It is a great, great book. It's one of those books that I feel like cannot get enough love. So if you have not read that book, really go check it out. It's a fantastic book. And thank you, Matthew, for that hilarious post. Um, I also want to do a shout out to everybody that supports, uh, this podcast on Patreon because, well, we love it. We, We appreciate it so much and we love you. And um, if you don't support us yet, would you please go over to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and you can choose your indulgence level, uh, you know, whatever level you want. It's right there. Choose it. Uh, assure your future salvation of your soul and unlock so many amazing, cool things uh, that we have waiting for you there when you do so, uh, including access to the private Facebook group, the heretic happy hour Facebook group. Um, so all of that is yours uh, as our huge thank you for your amazing support. Love you. So I have a special deal for you this week. If you rate and review our podcast on the platform you use to listen to us, you will be in line for one of the very first copies of the Thecla cookbook that we are going to publish any day now. So make sure you put in those reviews (laughs) this week and we will make sure that you get one of the very first copies of that cookbook. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be out uh, as a package deal with the board game. With, with the board game. Yeah. <laughs> you'll get the board game and you'll get the uh, the Turkish cookbook for free. I yeah. feel like you're making fun of me now. I meant it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just the other day, I, I, I sent Matt a message and I'm like, hey, man, do you think we could actually get this board game out now? And he just replied with a ha, ha, ha. I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're the new Ralph, Matt. Yeah, they, it, yeah. Hey, that that graphic stuff's outside of my wheelhouse, so I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we need in the in the cookbook. I just need one recipe, like what to do when you have to go to an evangelical wedding, and it's just like vodka. Fill a flask with vodka. Yes. Didn't she yeah. fast for several days or something like that? That would make the vodka go down. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking more that would make it a very short cookbook, but yes, <laughs> point taken. Well, that'll keep the print cost down. Yes, yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>